Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Saints Preserve Us, the podcast that gives you everything you need to know about every saint you'll ever need. I'm Christian O'Toole, and I'm joined today with our two experts, as always, Rosemary Rogers and Sean Kelly, authors of Saints Preserve Us. So welcome, Sean and Rosemary. How are you guys doing? Good. Very good. On top of the world. Excellent. Last week, we talked about St. Augustine, and this week, we're talking about Augustine's mother, St. Monica, also known as Santa Monica, and we have a special guest on the podcast today that we're thrilled to have. We have an interview with Elizabeth Rodriguez, who is very well known for being on the series Orange is the New Black, but is also a theater actress who was in the Labyrinth Theater Company's performance of The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. She was also in the AMC show Fear the Walking Dead, and she played Gabriela Lopez in the 2017 film Logan. But yeah, we have an interview with Elizabeth, and we're very excited about that. But first, we also every week like to talk about a saint of the day, and we're releasing this episode on August 8th. And there's a few saints we want to talk about. First of all, it is the feast of St. Syriacus. That's right. There's a great illustration in here in the birthday book of saints about Syriacus. So, Rosemary, why don't you tell us a little bit about him and the drawing here? The drawing in the book is by my stepson, Robert Downey Jr., who is a terrific artist. And he was reading about the saints, and he took a real shine to Syriacus. I think there was something about him that he identified with. Syriacus was a slave, faith healer, and martyr in the year 304, evoked against demonic possession. That's it eye disease, and his emblem was a chained devil. <laughs> so Syriacus was an indentured servant building an enormous bathhouse in Rome when he noticed that the emperor's daughter, Artemia, was possessed by a demon. Syriacus cast out the evil spirit, and in gratitude, the emperor granted our saint a sabbatical in Persia. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All expenses paid. Yeah. He also exorcised a demon from the king's daughter of Persia. He not only cured the princess, but also converted the king and 430 of his courtiers to the faith. He then returned to Rome, where, for thanks, he was bound in chains, dipped in boiling pitch, and decapitated. Wow. They wanted to make sure he was dead. Yeah. He was invoked throughout the Middle Ages as a specialist in exorcising devils. As such, he is one of the 14 holy helpers upon whose collective feast day his personal feast day falls. So... It seems like exercising demons is kind of what Robert did. Yeah, he he exercised his demons and very successfully, as we all know. I really have always had a fear of being possessed by the devil myself. And I guess it's because I grew up with my father and his friends talking about someone down the road in Ireland was possessed. And I just thought, wow, if it could happen to him, it could happen to me. But I've kind of gotten over that fear now. But it's a real thing. There's all sorts of demons we have. On the the farm that I I tried to grow up on up in Quebec, my great uncle Eddie, who was a wonderful guy, he would chase a chicken. He was supposed to catch a chicken and kill it for Sunday dinner. And he would chase it around the barnyard. And when he couldn't capture it, he would shout out, there's a demon in it, I tell you. (laughs) Eventually, my dad would then walk out into the yard and pick up the chicken and decapitate it and dinner would be served. But that idea that there's a demon in it, he didn't mean that as a a figure of speech. There was no no other possible explanation. it was all very, very real. I had an uncle once who met the devil himself on the road, and he got really scared and freaked out and walked away quickly. But he knew that 
the devil was just looking for someone to enter. Was that a puka? A puka no, it devil. wasn't a puka. <laughs> it was just a man in a black suit. <laughs> okay. The thing is, it's, as I understand it, the experience of being whatever they're calling it now, schizophrenic or borderline, the experience is very much like being possessed. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like you have a mental illness. Mm-hmm. It feels like somebody else is inside, you. is inside you acting out. Mm-hmm. So... It was a, an adequate metaphor for the experience, it seems to me, of, of going mad. Mm-hmm. Because we've cleaned everything up and now everything is just a disease. Right. right. Yeah. That's just sick. sick. No, it's evil. Well, when you think about addiction, too, it, it literally is something else that's in your brain that mm-hmm. has taken over mm-hmm. those receptors and requires you to get more of it. You know, that basically it's not you anymore. It's this other substance that has come in and says, you need to have this. Mm -hmm. Nothing else matters. You've got to just get more of that thing. I got it at school and I got it at home, too. They really believed that the demon just walked the streets or walked the fields or did something. Was responsible for everything bad. In the time when the Exorcist films came out, and they're coming out again, they're remaking them. I saw that. But there'll never be another Richard Burton. Louis Pazuzu. Never get that again. But everyone I knew here in New York went to the movie and were shocked and appalled and came out with their eyeballs spinning in their heads. And I thought, I've been hearing about that stuff since first grade. Exactly. <laughs> that was the nuns and priests and brothers never laid off that no. stuff. Yeah. The only thing that I thought was striking about that movie was that she named the devil Captain Howdy. Yeah, that is strange. I thought that was just brilliant. It's very creepy. Yeah. So that's the Feast of St. Syriacus. The other feast day that was mentioned there was the Feast of the 14 Holy Helpers, an all-star team of heavenly patrons. Sean, can you tell us a little more about them? It seems like a a team-up, like a Marvel team-up. It's exactly like the Justice League or or the All-Star game. And I think I could say that there's no reason to believe that any of the 14 Holy Helpers actually existed. I mean, there's a trace (laughs) of a possibility, which is partly what makes them so holy. They were not just the mortal people (laughs) walking around. And they were invoked for almost everything. They're the original, I would say, patron saints. The ones that you can, whatever the situation you find yourself in, there is a helper who is available to you and specializes in that particular dilemma or... I don't know why they felt they had to lump them all together, though. I don't understand that because they all had individual stories and patronages on their own. So why make them like a posse or something? It's like, holy helpers, assemble! (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was what Marvel realized is they always sold more copies when they did a team up. Because if you could get, you know, the Avengers together or if you get the X-Men with the Avengers, it always was a big deal. So there you go. There's the answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Our main saint today that we're going to focus on and we're really excited about is St. Monica, the mother of St. Augustine. And that's basically where we know everything about her was from Augustine's writings and particularly the confessions of St. Augustine. So what do we know about her as a saint? Well, she converted to Christianity way before he did. Mm-hmm. and spent a great deal of time trying to get him to he was, turn the He corner. was a Manichaean, though. Mm-hmm. It's not that he wasn't Christian. He was a heretic. Mm-hmm. The particular franchise mm-hmm. of Christianity that he signed up with wasn't in accordance with Orthodox Christianity. So it's not as if she was trying to convert him from being a pagan to being a Catholic. It was that he was already a religious chap. 
He just happened to be riding the wrong bus. <laughs> so the person she got to uh, make the change was St. Ambrose. She was a devotee of St. Ambrose of Milan. And He's the one who stood up in the baptismal font, right, when he was baptized. I believe when he was a child. Yeah, we did yeah. mention that earlier with our interview with uh, Father, oh, Father Jim. Ma That's but right. Yeah. Augustine went to visit Ambrose, and Ambrose was reading without moving his lips. Wow. And Augustine thought, that's for me. <laughs> wow. Right? Because obviously no one had done that before. If you were a reader in those days, you had an actual room in your house <laughs> that you could read in without disturbing the children and servants. Anyway, the idea that you could read without moving your lips seemed miraculous to St. Augustine and what pushed him over the edge. <laughs> But his mother cried all the time, as they will. And the, the reason Santa Monica is Santa Monica is because of a spring of water there. The, just the tears of St. Monica pouring down a rock made everyone think, we only, is there only one place we can call this? <laughs> but anyhow, Augustine was in a complicated, extraordinary, and possibly very hateful individual. But he owes it, or he said he owed it all to the tears of his mother just wearing him down. And he was already married and had at least one son, but his mother became the mother-in-law from hell. Right? <laughs> she, she pulled him out of that relationship. And Augustine said as a young man that he wanted to be chased, but not yet, his famous <laughs> prayer. And he said he came to Carthage burning with lust. Wow. But your mom never likes to hear that. No. It's the kind of thing your mom doesn't <laughs> want to hear. It's a bitter thing to hear. Yeah, you know, if we one thing it was for her, but she... <laughs> They take you don't exception. want to think about your kid like that. No, his no. being out there, little randy little no. fella. So she got St. Ambrose to straighten him out, and uh, he became Orthodox bishop and went back to North Africa. What I also found interesting about that story of her meeting with Ambrose to convert Augustine eventually was that they were from North Africa, Augustine and Monica, in what is now present-day Algeria, we believe. Yes. And Augustine one day slipped out and snuck off to Rome. And Monica followed him. <laughs> I mean, this is like your kid running away and the mom's like, oh yeah? Well, <laughs> I can get on a boat too. Yeah. And Except then after he was that, probably around 40 when she ran after him. Yeah. Uh, and then he continued and from Rome, he went to Milan and she followed him to Milan. <laughs> I mean, the, the dedication here, you really have to admire it. And because that in Milan is where she met Ambrose. And Augustine met Ambrose, too. And I think the three of them together finally got him to turn his act around. <laughs> but the idea that she followed him, in those days, it was not easy to travel. No. And I'm no. sure as a woman alone, even harder. So the fact that she went to those lengths and was able to bring him back is really incredible. Admirable, really. Yeah. Well, unless you think of her as the, uh, that nightmare of the smothering Mm -hmm. Mother, mm -hmm. that in the 50s at least was the archetype of all evil, right? The mother right, who right. wouldn't let her boy leave her side. And we, we're over that now. We're over blaming moms for everything. But anyway, she we don't know much about her aside from the fact that she cried and cried and then won. I nagged and nagged. Well, she also had a, she also apparently had a miserable husband named Patricius, who I think was violent and stepped out on her. But she tried to bring him around to the mm -hmm. faith and I think was successful there as mm -hmm. well. 
So, yeah, she may have been the sort of like what we sometimes now call tiger mom or the, <laughs> the overbearing mother. But, you know, as Elizabeth Rodriguez says in her monologue in the Labyrinth Theater Company play, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, she gets results. This is Christian. Thanks for joining us today. Of course, anything for Rosemary. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. I love hearing that. I like that attitude in general. <laughs> I never had the chance to see the show, and I think our listeners would be great to have a little bit of an introduction to you and to what the role was and, and what the production was like. Would you mind just sort of setting us up with that? I am Elizabeth Rodriguez. I am an actress. I've done television, film, and theater. I went to Broadway where I garnered a Tony nomination. It is the mother blanker <laughs> with the hat. I did seven seasons of Orange is the New Black. I was on Power, a Labyrinth Theater Company member for about 20 years. And I was in the original cast of The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. I played Santa Monica, and we did it at the Public Theater in New York City. It was a play by Stephen Ali Gierke. So it was directed by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Very blessed to be directed by him. Sam Rockwell played Judas. It had Eric Bogosian. Yule Vasquez played El Pahimi. Liza Colonze has played Mother Teresa. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on. And so you played Monica, who was the mother of St. Augustine, right? Yes. We were talking about him last week in the sense of his switch from sort of a view of a deterministic universe where everything is sort of prescripted by God to free will and this sort of decision to be holy and to live a holy life. And what Rosemary and Sean were telling us is that his mother, St. Monica, had a lot of influence on that, that she sort of brought him into the faith. Was that part of your research going into the role? Yes. You know, we had Father Jim that mm. was there with us through the, I believe you guys interviewed him uh, through the whole time. And so it was incredible to have him around to speak to us of what that would have been like in the modern version and in the now that we were living at the time. I guess the research in terms of her, the monologue spoke to that, you know, trumpets and light and it becomes this whole thing and it's just like a call to God and I believe that 
you know, I was going to get on the phone, you know, because I had a direct line to him and I was going to speak to him about my son. Oh, and, you know, great. oftentimes, yeah, by the end of it, you know, I was like, because I'm Santa Monica and <laughs> I get the job done. And I would walk away <laughs> and half the time the audience didn't know whether to applaud, sometimes half would, sometimes they all would. The part sort of was a rise, mm-hmm. you know, and it spoke to what her energy and like clearly what her purpose was. She nags and she nags and she nags. And she, she nags and she nags and she nags until, you know, it gets done. <laughs> um, and so, but from a place of, of truth, mm-hmm. you know, of what she believed fully. When Phil was directing, Phil talked about the idea about who was Santa Monica speaking to, and it was like the world. And so the force behind that in terms of my intention had to be then bigger. You know, it took every bit of what I had in me because I wasn't just talking to the audience in that room. So, you know, I would speak and he'd be like, no, it has to, it's bigger. It's a, a broader audience. It's the world. <laughs> <laughs> it was though. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was reading the Confessions of St. Augustine this morning and came across his description of his mother at the end of her life. And there's a wonderful quote from her directly where she said, there was one reason and one alone why I wish to remain a little longer in this life. And that was to see you a Catholic Christian before I died. God has granted my wish and more besides for now I see you as his servant. What is left for me to do in this world? So she was clearly just so devoted to him as her son and, you know, to make sure that he would live a good life, I guess. Right, that he would turn around and her belief that, you know, that she can do that with her faith and the help of God. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, you know, he became learned, quote unquote. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what every mother is trying to do, right? Certainly every Irish mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly every Irish mother. Absolutely. I suppose whatever, whether it's religious or just generally, spirit, you know, just to be a good person to live a full life, a decent life with values and not hurt and grow and be, I guess, enlightened and awakened and the best version a child could be. So, yeah, her dedication was to him. And so, you know, it's incredible to be able to, to play that, to play that, to bring that person to life and the meaning of her as a mother and as a, a driven mother. That was a life goal. That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Did you think about your mother in that role? Did you have that kind of mom who pushed you to be your best? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was raised by my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, and my father. I didn't have that. So I don't actually know where my drive came from at an early age. I have no idea. I just knew that before I knew that, you know, I just was sort of stubborn. There was a lot of nature there. Yeah. I definitely believe in nature and nurture and grace, a lot of grace growing up in New York City. That's true. It's interesting that Phil Hoffman and Stephen Gerges are both Catholic or were at some point, and you are too. And it seemed like it was almost 100% Catholic production, which which I find interesting because it was the saints and such a New Testament story. Mm, I think we just, you know, we all came to it just sort of open and, and to understand with the help of Father Jim, you know, just very specific stories and that we can all relate to in the work, you know, and still to watch him at any level to be touched by him like the world was and the work he did. He directed the same way he worked on anything he did. He had an incredible ability. I don't know anyone else that has it to do script analysis the way he does, but he addresses every 
part the way he addressed his work. So in direction, he did the same thing. And it was always about stakes, about stakes, about stakes. Everyone coming from the stakes and never, ever, ever playing the humor. Steven's plays work best when I've seen productions of it. Is you just, you don't play the humor. The humor happens because it's there. And if you just drive and you stay on what your goal is and your stakes and what you understand them to be, the audience experiences something where by the time they are even trying to make sense of what they just heard. You know, it's almost always like a delayed laughter. <laughs> You're just like, what just happened? <laughs> and, you know, and he has an incredible ability to do that to, you know, and almost always what Stephen does is he, he makes you laugh. And while your mouth is open laughing, he drops just complete truth and wisdom and, and hard pills to swallow in those moments and you just sort of taking this ride constantly. Yeah, you know. Emotional ride. Father Jim in his book said something very interesting. First of all, he went to see the, the play with another priest and the other priest said, I'm never going to look at St. Monica the same way again. And then they went to Phil's funeral. Yeah. It was just, you know, he talked about it in a very moving way, how, how hard it was for him to, you know, to have lost him, you know, and he kind of saw it as a failure in some way. Right. Wow. I know that every year, Father Jim still to this day sends me an email to Stephen and I on the Feast of St. Monica. It's so beautiful because it touches right back in, you know, oh, no. in, in that spot. It's interesting that I always have this connection to, you know, of course, anytime. Now, if I'm in Santa Monica in LA, in LA, you know, it's like anywhere. There's a secret, you know, I don't tell anyone, but I feel like you, that's me. Place. I'm like, place. I'm her spirit incarnate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're up to now? You know, what are you working on these uh, days? I am currently in pre-production for a film that I co-wrote and I'm producing and I'm one of the leads with some company member that's going to go into production shooting September to October called All's Well, which is really sort of exciting and scary, you know, and so much work and exhilarating. It's a slice of life family story, and it deals with, I think, you know, how far can you get away from your past, your mm. family past, and what happens when it comes back, multi-generational, you know, trauma and heart and these strong women. Yeah. Uh, John Ortiz is going to be in it. Bobby Cannavale is doing me a huge favor and he's going to do a small part, which is so exciting. That's and great. I'm so moved by that. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Well, congratulations. It's exciting Thank to, you. to write and produce your own thing now. That's amazing. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, it is. You know, just having these conversations with people from DPs to costume design to set design, hearing the way their brain works. Speaking about a film that, you know, I, I co-wrote, it's incredible enlightening, yeah. you know, because it's a different language, per se, in a way. And you're just like, oh, I never thought about it that way. Oh, that's interesting. It adds these dimensions. Yeah, that's so cool. It must be thrilling to see your vision sort of expanded through other people's talent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's funny, too. When you were mentioning Philip. Seymour Hoffman's dedication to sort of every little thing in the process of doing the Judas play. I had heard a comedian on a podcast a while back talking about one scene he did in the film called Along Came Polly, where uh -huh. he walks into a room and instantly does what is among, I guess, comedic actors considered one of the greatest pratfalls of all time. 
Oh, he just, yeah. He just walks in, slips, and falls, but in an incredibly funny way that, you know, like you, you can tell the guy put thought into how to fall here. Right, right, right. And now that and, we have yeah. the, the internet, people have rediscovered it. And there's just loose. Oh, of really? It on That's you. amazing to know. Yeah, right? Because, you know, one thinks of Bill is funny. And I mean, I know that part of him because he was always like big brother, like pressing my buttons. We had this relationship, you know, outside. We were friends. And so I knew that part of him. But, you know, everyone knows him as this incredible dramatic actor. And he was so ridiculous in that film in the basketball court all of it you're yeah. just like oh my goodness <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's I so funny to watch there's a youtube clip just it just says philip seymour hoffman falls down over and over again and it's oh a my fifth, goodness i'm gonna watch it yeah it goes on for four minutes i think so <laughs> oh my goodness i'm gonna look for it in the confessions of saint augustine there's also he when he starts talking about his mother there's a great setup where he says, there are many things which I do not set down in this book since I am pressed for time, but I will omit not a word that my mind can bring to birth concerning your servant, my mother. In the flesh, she brought me to birth in this world. In her heart, she brought me to birth in your eternal light. Mm. So, I mean, say Monica does get results. <laughs> That's so beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I love that. And can I ask you one thing? Rosemary and Sean also wrote a book called The Birthday Book of Saints. Can you tell us your birthday and we can figure out who your patron saint is? June 9th. Who is my birthday? Oh, my goodness. What Columba? The Feast of St. Columba. Yes. He was in our first episode that I worked on with Rosemary and Sean because he is one of their all-time favorite saints. Yeah. And I knew knew his birthday was was June 9th. How great is that? Look at that. Yeah. St. Columba just keeps coming up over and over again. Wow. Look, this is so meant to be. Yeah. His his life was so immense. I I always say it would be a movie on the scale of Lawrence of Arabia. He's a poet. Poet as well, too, just so you know, Elizabeth. He was well, that's really great a prodigious know. writer. He was famous as a youth for his writing and copying hundreds of pages by hand and as a poet. So he's probably Aww. up there influencing your writing right now and getting you to write your own stuff. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. I so, love that. You asked me that and we got to share that. What, who's your thing? Mine? Let's see. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't think we looked it up yet. I'm April 14th, so we'll see. Saint Benezet, hmm. Benezet, a pious lad keeping the family flock in the hills of Savoy. Little Benezet watched with pity the travelers below and in peril as they attempted to wade across the raging river Rhone. Then one day during a solar eclipse, he heard a voice three times command him to go to the town of Avignon and build a bridge there. Without hesitation, he obeyed. <laughs> At first, the Bishop of Avignon was unimpressed by the diminutive shepherd's proposed project, but a miracle or two changed his mind and he gave the go-ahead. Benezet directed the building operation for seven years years, and when he died, he was buried under his bridge. Patron saint of Avignon and bridge builders. Wow. Well, I will say that my kind of thing in life, one of my great skills, I think, and my what gets me through life is that even though something may seem impossible or, you know, like that I would never be able to do it. I just persist until... Oh, yeah. You know. That's amazing. Yeah. No, you do have that spirit. Yep. I think so. You Build bridges make it happen. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I'm glad you we were able to, to build a bridge to you today. This was so thrilling. Oh, thank you thank so much you. for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. Uh, you guys take good care. Thank you. This just filled my heart. Yeah, oh, us too. I think my, my day is going to be a little better today. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Sure. Thank you to you and St. Monica. And <laughs> all the best with All's Well. That's the film? Yes, All's Well. Yes. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. We will look forward to it. Like we said, everything we know about Monica, we learn from the writings of St. Augustine. And there was a few things I found really interesting in his writings about her. And one was that once they were walking together in a garden and they just kind of were having a nice sort of mother and son stroll and I think talking and getting into kind of these deep thought type areas. And they were talking about God and the saints. And I just really loved this passage. So I just want to read a little bit so we can, you know, we can react to it. Our conversation led us to the conclusion that no bodily pleasure, however great it might be, and whatever earthly light might shed luster upon it, was worthy of comparison or even mention besides the happiness of the life of the saints. As the flame of love burned stronger in us and raised us higher towards the eternal God, our thoughts ranged over the whole compass of material things in their various degrees, up to the heavens themselves, from which the sun and the moon and the stars shine down upon the earth. Higher still we climb, thinking and speaking all the while in wonder at all that you have made, He's referring to God here. At length, we came to our own souls and passed beyond them to the place of everlasting plenty where you feed Israel forever with the food of truth. Their life is that wisdom by which all these things that we know are made, all things that ever have been and all that are yet to be. But that wisdom, it is not made. It is as it has always been and as it will be forever. Or rather, I should say, not that it has been or will be, for it simply is because eternity is not in the past or in the future. And while we spoke of the eternal wisdom, longing for it and straining for it with all the strength of our hearts, for one fleeting instant, we reached out and touched it. Then with a sigh, leaving our spiritual harvest bound to it, we returned to the sound of our own speech, in which each word has a beginning and an ending, far, far different from your word, O Lord, who abides in himself forever, yet never grows old, and gives new life to all things. So I just love this because they're talking about what it is to be a saint in heaven. And it's this idea of experiencing the eternity of God and something that has never started or ended, but just is. And I find it interesting because it's similar to what a lot of people describe as a mystical experience who have done psychedelics or something in the in the new field of sort of psychedelic assisted therapy they describe this as like one of the things reported is this feeling of eternity of becoming one with that kind of god-like level of understanding of things that just go on forever and don't have a beginning or an ending so i just like this idea that just mother and son walking along in a garden had this mystical experience on that that level. That's true. Well, it's Dante kind of dragged that story out at some length, right, of ascending to the beatific vision Mm -hmm. through temptations and then overcoming temptations and then finally the beatific vision. But I think it's interesting that Dante went with his true love and Augustine went with his mom. (laughs) (laughs) But that is true, that that bliss that surpassed understanding, the emptiness and fullness. Freud called it the oceanic feeling mm-hmm. oh. for that thing to happen. And he was sad that he couldn't get it. He couldn't have it. Why? Why couldn't he have it? Well, it wasn't given unto him to have it. Uh. But he knew patients had it. He, knew, he wasn't denying its existence. Yeah, it's about getting past your own ego. And I think yeah. he was very wrapped up in his own ego. He was his own sense of self. But I just love that idea that, you know, Monica and her son just walking in a garden had this 
truly mystical experience where they experience the life of the saints, which mm. is what they are striving towards. You know, this idea that I could... want some of what they were taking. <laughs> yeah. I really do. Ambrosia, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a story that we were always frequently treated to is Augustine is walking along the beach, I guess, in somewhere in North Africa. He's walking along the beach thinking about the Trinity and trying to understand the Trinity. And he's bearing down with all his intellectual abilities on the mystery of the Trinity. And he comes upon a child on the beach who is running down to the water, bringing a bucket of water back to up the beach and pouring it in a hole in the sand. Mm -hmm. And Augustine looks at him for a while and says, you know you're never going to get the whole ocean in that. At all. And the kid says, and you're never going to understand the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the kid then flies up, you know, it's baby Jesus. <laughs> but it's right. a pretty good idea of, mm-hmm. of, because of this, the oceanic feeling that, that Big Satan talks about. You're not going to put that, you're not going to put that in a little <laughs> the hole. big dog. Right. The big dog. Freud did not have it. No, he that certainly That was the thing. Didn't. Without denying its existence or anything, he was sort of envious yeah. to be a sparkle on a wave. At the end of Once and Future King, that you have to admit that life is only dew on the blade of grass, but some dew sparkles. Mm. Right? That notion, I wish I had it because I would have. You have it, Rosemary. You're afflicted. I am. I know it. Well, I think uh, I think another thing that does give you that feeling besides drugs or, or meditation or anything is becoming a parent. I think like oh, becoming yeah. a mother, particularly from what I understand. I mean, I've only been a father, but it really does connect you with that, that idea of like, where did this thing come from? Mm-hmm. You know, where did this human soul come from? Because you didn't create it. I mean, as much as a mother does create it biologically, when they come out, you're like, who is this person? Right. A miracle just happened. Yeah, it really is miraculous. And so I could imagine that Monica connected with this idea through her kids. And then with that power, you can do anything. I mean, you can go to Rome and Milan and follow him and spend 17 years on one quest to convert him to the faith and then do it. Yeah. You know? I think for many people, the closest we can get to that feeling is with music. Mm. That there are sometimes when you're listening to a piece of music, you leave. It's transcendent. And you're no longer concerned with earthly things because the beauty of it all has dazzled you. Mm -hmm. And then the record starts skipping. (laughs) (laughs) But there there are a lot of great musicians who say that they don't create the thing. They don't create these melodies. They just just follow whatever's in their head. They're just a a conduit for them. That when they finally get in touch with something, it just flows through Mm -hmm. them. And they're not really in control of it. Right. So, yeah, I think that, you know, St. Monica, what can people pray to her for? Like, what what can she do for you in everyday life? What is she a patron of? I don't know what she's a patron of, but I would certainly pray to her to sort of help me guide my children, my grandchildren. I think she... She got what she wanted. I mean, she created a life for them that really worked. Well, she is, I guess, the patron of married women and mothers. So mm-hmm. that is perfect. Yeah. The idea that she had a miserable marriage even contributes to that. That yeah. if she'd had this fab marriage to Patricio there back mm-hmm. in uh, 
And she had his horrible mother-in-law. Yeah. You know, yeah. She had a mother-in-law living with her uh-huh. who was miserable too. So, so she had it coming from all sides, yeah. really. In that way, she's like St. Rita. But you can imagine praying to her as a wife and mother because her life was so miserable. Her husband was, was a gangster. Yeah. And that, rather than someone who just had this wonderful life and a wonderful mom and the wonderful kids. No, uh, Don, no, Donna Reed is all. not a saint. There's no St. Donna Reed. <laughs> and, I, and I think you can take inspiration from her, even if you didn't have a great mother. Like we, we heard in Elizabeth's interview, she did not have a great mother growing up. She was raised by her grandmother, but she's still out there. You know, she's a powerful woman. She's got her own film that she's working on now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's been a lot of great shows. If you haven't seen Orange is the New Black or Logan, definitely check those out. And, you know, she's out there writing her own stuff now. Yeah, so she's, she's definitely taking she's, the inspiration she's a real power. of St. Monica you know, getting stuff done. So there's also every reason to believe that Monica and Augustine were black. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Right. And you don't see statues of them that are black, but they came from Africa. They, yeah. they weren't born. No, in but you know, Sweden. now there's acknowledging it a little bit because I wanted to send Elizabeth a mask a few months ago and Monica was black. Okay. Mm hmm. Yeah, and her her portrayal of Santa Monica, it's you know, Hispanic. was like, yeah, she was like from the Lower East Side, yeah, which good. I really love. Good, yeah. good, yeah. So, you know, we're we're bringing her into the modern day, and, and it is true. I mean, they were from you know North Africa. I think we can safely assume that in those days, they were not going to be the white saints that we have. On no, the but cards. that's we even do that with saints from the south of Italy and Sicily and stuff. When you see a portrait of a Sicilian virgin who was, you know, punished for not. Blonde hair out. and blue eyes. They're all blonde and blue-eyed. Yeah. And I don't know where they went because they're not, there's none of them left in Sicily. So who, who decided that that was what a saint would look like? Well, same people who decided that Jesus had blue eyes. That's true. Yeah. Well, I think maybe we'll start a new line of candles, you know, prayer candles. Sure. <laughs> St. Augustine, St. Monica, with a more accurate skin tone. That'd be all right, too. Yeah. And therefore, you can pray to both of them and pray to St. Monica for all the mothers and wives out there, you know, who are just trying to hold their family together and keep their kids on a good path. So mm-hmm. exactly. Thank you guys so much for today. This is great. And we'll, thank you. we'll see us back next week with more great saints. Okay. I just want to say hi, mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's all say thank you to our own mothers. Uh, I always say thanks That's for, a fast yeah, well, all right. <laughs> Samuel Beckett said, of his mother, I am what her fierce loving made of me. Whoa, that's a very ambivalent statement. Just Sam, what a guy! What a guy! Thanks, everyone. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. Amen. Amen. Amen.